Welcome to the Not Old Yet podcast, where we explore the subject of aging from a fresh new perspective. Each week, you will learn how to look, feel, and be youthful, no matter your age or stage of life. Tune in each episode to hear words of wisdom, stories of hope, and keeping it real advice from your host, Elizabeth Vanderveer. We got a beautiful story. everyone and welcome. I'm Elizabeth Vanderveer, your host of the Not Old Yet Global Podcast and Videocast. And I'm here today with my good friend, DJ Wilson. Hi, DJ. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, everyone. Hi. And DJ is a nearly four-decade veteran of the media business, meaning that she grew up in this business. To the last decade, she has managed business units for very large media companies, television, internet, radio, all of the media sources she's been involved with over the decades. And every time I talk to DJ, I learn something about this business that I didn't know. Most of the things I know are what either I don't know, which we're going to talk about today, or what I don't know how to do like how to use my electronics, how to use the media that I have. So for someone like you, DJ, that has been intimately involved in not only programming, production, direction of the media, I mean, you've had a hand in the control of information in major markets. I really want to understand your perspective. In doing a little research for this show, I looked at when radio really got widely distributed, when television got widely distributed, when the internet got widely distributed. It seemed to me about every 50 to 100 years, there's a major change that causes a cultural shift in how we communicate. And the rapidity at which things have changed in the last two decades is just incredible. And I'm kind of wondering, you said you wanted to talk about 5G, which I don't even know what that is, but I know it's important but where the heck are we going given that just less than, uh, how long ago did radio actually get out there and look where we are today? So radio waves to 5G, how long is that, DJ? Well, I mean, radio was around in the 20s, so it's, you know, it's coming up on its 100th anniversary for sure uh, for radio. But wow. you know, the, way, the way radio transformed media is, you know, prior to that, it was all print and newspaper. And so what radio provided, even though it was only audio, it was instantaneous. And so you can appreciate if you had a print deadline, and let's say you were a weekly newspaper, then your print deadline, something might happen an hour after you go to press, and you're not going to have an opportunity to report on that story for another seven days. Wow. And then if we were a daily newspaper, it was another 24 hours. And so it wasn't immediate. And... It also wasn't something that you could access necessarily. You had to wait for it to be delivered or you had to go down to the local newsstand and pick it up. And so, you know, you didn't, you didn't turn on a button and all of a sudden you had inf- news and information coming to you. So obviously- And yet that printed word means something to us. People keep old newspaper clippings still. They keep magazines. They keep books. So well, clearly- It's history. It's, it's a record of its day. 
you know, that was the, the record of our culture, our history, you know, humanity. I mean, it was, you know, critically important. As a matter of fact, being, having spent the last decade in Portland, Oregon, the Oregon Historical Society has every single Oregonian newspaper that's ever been published since day one. Really? So if you knew there was an event that happened on a certain day, you could go to the Oregon Histor Historical Society archives and say, I want to look at a newspaper that was published in 1941 because I want to understand more about this event that I know happened in 1941. Anyway, it's a historical record. But in terms of radio, radio was really a transformative media because it was instantaneous and you could bring it into your home at 24-7. You know, that was very transformative. Then television came along. And television, of course, was video. And video, people love video. To this day, video drives everything. That's okay, new. DJ, and forgive me if this isn't your wheelhouse, but it probably is. The informational difference between a radio wave and TV, how is that different you no know one needs to know that. You know, it's a, it's a technical question about how pictures fly through the air. And it's just a different transmission signal. Just know that, you know, it allowed for video to be transmitted. And when that happens, you know, video, as we know, 70% of communication is nonverbal. And so in radio, there was tone, yeah. inflection, there was a certain energy or not. And of course, the actual content of what was being presented. But in television, as a matter of fact, there was an example just the other night that I was watching where someone was being interviewed. Their nonverbal, their entire being basically was at odds with what they were saying. To me, and I'm not an expert in assessing nonverbal necessarily, but there's some very obvious, you know, obvious uh, signs with people mm -hmm. when, when you feel they're fabricating something or they're misrepresenting something. They're just not being truthful. And so when video came along, there was an opportunity to see the person both, you know, from the standpoint of the nonverbal and the verbal. And that, that's very powerful. And that created an enormous transformation in communication as well, not to mention entertainment and, and everything. Do you so, remember the first uh, television show that you watched and where you were and what it meant in your life or? Probably was, is just because my parents were watching, it was probably the Ed Sullivan show. And yeah, the only way that people like millennials would probably know of Ed Sullivan would be that there's still an Ed Sullivan studio that is used today in programming. And so sometimes they'll say, coming from the Ed Sullivan studio, you know, who the heck's Ed Sullivan? Well, Ed Sullivan had a variety show, if you will, and he hosted guests, and his legendary guests were Elvis and were the Beatles when they came to the United States. And so he had some very, very significant entertainment moments that happened on that show. So that's, I'd say Ed Sullivan. Gotcha. Mine was Mr. Rogers. <laughs> good, good. That's that was funny. my first memory, eating wheat thins and cream cheese and watching Mr. Rogers somewhere yeah. in the 70s, obviously. It I spent a lot of time reading Nancy Drew books, so oh. I watch as much television, but it's interesting. My husband's a few years older, and oh my gosh, he is a TV trivia genius, so I, I think I missed a lot. <laughs> so television came along, and when did you start to experience the internet professionally, and when did it start to make changes in your career as a television GM and other positions? Just to be, you know, to be very clear... I've spent my entire career working for 
publicly traded New York Stock Exchange television media companies and working in or running local operating units. So that would be your local network affiliates. And then their aligned businesses, which of course is internet, what you're talking about now. So in the late 1900s, 1998 was the first time that we got exposed to internet. And so now almost 20 years ago, and by the year 2000 or 2001, the company I was working for, Belo, headquartered out of Dallas, and their notable media asset was the Dallas Morning News, and still is to this day, they own it. And anyway, they had over 200 people across the company that were working in the internet division in the year 2000, which is a pretty astronomical number. It was the vision of a guy named Jim Maroney or James Maroney, who was the director of digital media and then for many, many years has been the publisher of the Dallas Morning News. But anyway, he saw what the internet provided and the opportunities and made that investment. Wow, that's impressive. When did Facebook start? 12 years ago? 13 years ago? Yeah, 12 or 13. And you know, it still arguably is the number one social media. I mean, there's lots of, of, uh, (laughs) there are many, disruptors in the Facebook model, but Facebook continues to be the strongest media platform for sure. It seems overwhelmingly so. So what is 5G? Well, we're jumping ahead a little bit. So okay, well, take me somewhere else. I'm good with that. I was going to talk about AI and voice so, command. Where do you want to go? Well, what I, what I just say is what, what you have to understand is that there's been a significant shift. So it used to be that broadcasting, whether it was radio or television, was one to many. So you'd have an anchor or you'd have a DJ or whomever, and they would broadcast out over, you know, over either the radio airwaves or the television. And there wasn't that two-way conversation. Essentially, media companies would push content out. Mm -hmm. And there were only three big network stations, right? So then there came cable. And cable came on board. And cable's very different than than over-the-air television or a radio station. And sometimes consumers don't understand that. And so that, I only mention that because at another time, we'll talk about where do you get your news from and who are your trusted news sources. And again, journalists with a capital J, what they do is they vet for facts and accuracy. And so they make a very diligent effort to be balanced in their coverage and to vet for facts. And so What has happened when the internet came along and when social media, it allowed for there to be a two-way conversation. Mm -hmm. So I used to laugh and say, if someone wanted to reach us at the television station because they didn't agree with something we said, they would either have to write us a letter. And by the time we got the letter, we'd we'd be like scratching our head. Did we actually do that news story? We can't remember. Oh, that was last week. I'm going to ask old news. (laughs) That's so last week. Yeah, so last week. Or they would have to get through our phone system. And as a president and general manager, I couldn't even get through our phone system. So let me just say, there wasn't any two-way conversation. Then all of a sudden, the internet happened. And we would, we would have a top story, and we'd talk about, you know, in this particular case today, the jury, da-da-da. And all of a sudden, our internet would go nuts. We'd get all these emails saying, I was on that jury. That guy's my neighbor. That person's not truthful. That da-da-da-da-da. Did you think about this angle? Have you tried to interview this person? And all of a sudden, you've got this two-way conversation, which frankly has really enriched coverage 
because it has allowed for us in two ways. Number one, to have a deeper and broader group of sources or resources to rely on to get the, the facts straight and to put more context into a robust story. But the other is that oftentimes in this day and age with mobile, everybody has video. We sometimes will we'll be in our newsroom at the assignment desk and we'll hear of something happening in the community. It'll come over the scanner or, or you know, we'll hear about it. Um, someone will, you know, put it on their Twitter feed and we'll almost count it down. We'll go 10, 9, 8, 7. We've got video because someone will call our newsroom and say, I was across the street when that happened and I've got a full video of it. And they you offer know. it up for free now or do they? Yeah. It's a combination. You yeah. know, there are people say they'll sell it to you and we have very strict guidelines around when we would actually buy that video. We have some definite arrangements with stringers that will create opportunities for us that we don't even know about. They'll pitch us stories and say, I've got video of it. And then, then there's some people where the story is so profound, so powerful, so important that we will step up and buy the video. So it just depends. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I, as your friend for the last 12 years, I think we've- Yeah, a long time. Yes. Almost 13 years. Can vouch that you have security as tight as Fort Knox at that station because as your friend, I used to call for you if I couldn't reach you by cell or I can't remember why I called a few times and I couldn't get through. I mean, I had to practically give my social security number to get through to the front desk to even get to your assistant. But I think that's important. It, you know, news organizations need to be secure and you don't want crackpots getting through to the brass. Now, at the end of the day, when you're talking about free over the air television, we are a highly, highly regulated industry. And, and as such, we protect our license dearly. And should we at any time put our license at risk, that... What that, would put a license at risk for a media company? Well, if someone came in and took over your control room, for one, there are, you know, the very strict regulations, the use of certain images, certain language which is not, you know, the cable is not regulated in the same way. So they're very different. And people, again, because they will use a cable company to get their, trans, their over-the-air stations, they just assume they're all the same, and they're not. You've got cable companies that are not regulated by the Federal Communications Commission, and you have licensed broadcasters that are regulated by the Federal Communications Commission. And, and But if I have a Comcast Fios account or whoever it is, and I've got my network stations on that cable network as well as cable stations. What's the differentiation you're making? Are they regulated differently based on the channel? Oh, yes, absolutely. In the back end of a cable company, they distribute product. And so they will have an arrangement where they will distribute the over-the-air television station or they will distribute an entertainment channel or a, a cable channel, a cable show. And so they're just a distribution method and they're not responsible for the content. But if we're the over-the-air television station, we're responsible for our own content. They just distribute it. Oh, I guess that makes sense. Like a Comcast is just a, basically an aggregator of all these channels and they put it through their network. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. What about 5G? What is that? Is that a good time to... Yeah, sure. So, And so, why are we worried about it? Or people well, are? So, you know, it's interesting. I, I've reflected a lot on this about the last or my last decade in running a media operating unit. And 
so much of what I did, it, it was really a technology job. You know, it was, it was driven. I mean, it was many things, but, but yeah, you, you are very savvy with tech. I, well, I, I appreciate that. But really what it's about is it's, it's about understanding how you can use the technology to generate more content, to generate more enterprising content, which would be not just commoditized press release coverage. The mayor had a press conference today and talked about the water issue in town. Okay, everybody in the world has that same who, what, when, where, why. It's commoditized content. You could go on your feed and get it in a New York minute. And do you really need to have appointment television at 5 p.m. Monday through Friday so that you can hear what the mayor said in the press conference on water issues in the city? You don't need any of that. So what journalists are starting to do is they're really starting to look at how can we use the resources of technology to dig deeper, to do more investigative, to be in more places, to create more capacity in our content. It's changed workflow. It's changed how we, capital investments. It's changed, frankly, the profile of equipment has come down so much. If you think about it, you know, the equipment was so big and so hefty and so unwieldy that you needed multiple people on a news you know, on a news um, story because you had to drag around all the equipment and the cables and the, you had to have an engineer on site and you had to do all this stuff. Well, now you literally send someone out with their mobile device and those mobile devices are activated in a certain way that allows for them to do many things with those devices that allow for um, enhanced video, to pull down graphics, to, you know, do all kinds of things, to edit on the spot you know, all kinds of things that they can do. So it makes you very agile. It makes each individual in a news team be able to, to actually develop more deeper content, richer content. And so um, that's all driven through technology. The 5G thing is interesting in that the way I describe 5G to people at a very, you know, just really, I think, understandable level is that we've all heard about the onslaught of autonomous vehicles let's say. So, so basically cars that would drive themselves. And there are a number of applications in other ways, transportation and other kinds of functions that could be driven through technology without a human interface that's automated. So it means it's automated. But in many of those circumstances, you have to make instantaneous decisions. So you have an autonomous vehicle, it's going down the street, and it can either hit the pedestrian, or it can hit the lamp pole. It's going to hit one of the two, right? Well, of course you'd want it to hit the lamp pole, but the only way it knows it's a lamp pole and not a pedestrian, if a computer is running it, is that it has to have instantaneous, I mean, instantaneous data that will drive the decision and ultimately steer the car into the lamp pole and not into the pedestrian. That has to be done on a nanosecond. So our pipes have not, if you look at data pipes, pipes going out, you know, and distributing data, have not been big enough, fast enough to make those instantaneous decisions. And so you're seeing cities, you're seeing companies, you're seeing products, all looking at the 5G platform saying, we know that that, that will speed up our manufacturing process. That will speed up our ability to have a dashboard of data to make decisions on the stock market. 
it will give us so is 5g the transmission speed it's just faster than 4g or does it have different bandwidths so it's they're sort of one and the same but the, the point is it is fast obviously it's all about speed and it's high resolution and what we've seen in generationally in many you know upgrades in in all the technology we have and all the devices we have you know the resolution gets better the cameras get better in your in your smartphone that all that is being driven through technology upgrades updates and a bigger pipe you know higher resolution all these things and to drive all of that you need more bandwidth which is 5G so that's going to become a worldwide platform because the world needs 5G speed and it's been innovated. People know what 5G is. Now it's just a matter of, you know, going out. And we can remember, it, wasn't, it didn't seem all that long ago when HD high definition came out. And, you know, we were all used to analog. And the analog pipe was very big. And then when we went to digital, everything got compressed. There was compression. And it allowed more capacity on the line. And so, anyway, it, it, you know, we don't need to get into technology discussions other than to say it's all about speed. Yeah, it sounds like it's kind of like a funnel and each time we just increase exponentially, you know, like in a cone shape, everything expands and it can handle more capacity, it can handle more depth and breadth of content and I just don't understand why people are particularly worried about it over the last generation. Well, um, I don't know that people are worried about it. There's a I mean, the, 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 you know, data in the wrong hands, and this would be even back in an analog environment or back in, a, you know, in any one of the numerous wars that we fought that if you had a, a spy that had the wrong, you know, had, had data they shouldn't have, confidential data, it, it would compromise you. Right. You know, you'd be, you know so, so the, the, the problem with this data, you know, we were talking earlier about Alexa and Alexa, there's no, so I just said it and our, ours came on. I just, the and neon thing came on. And my husband only uses it for like music and the timer on, you know, when he's got something in the oven. It was a gift. We didn't buy it. But I have an assumption that everything I'm saying is being heard by somebody if they cared. You know, it's just. Oh, it is. <laughs> yeah, you plug everything. It's pretty, pretty naive to think, you know, that there's a web now in the world of everything, the interconnectedness of everything. People know exactly where you've been every minute of every day through either your mobile phone, your credit card charges, the devices you've used that are listening to you, what you've posted on social media. I mean, you know, to think that you somehow have anonymity is, you know, pretty uh, naive. I completely agree. I was at a home of two people that worked for the government in very high positions. We're talking very high positions. And they are conspiracy theorists. And they told me over a cup of coffee about all of the measures they take and all of the programs they don't participate in and, you know, the security measures they go to on their computers and their phones. And I was just overwhelmed. I was like, holy crap, I am so behind the times. And uh, then we went into their kitchen and they had an Alexa on the counter. And I looked at them and I looked at that device and I said, are you serious? I said, you have an Alexa? They said, oh, it's our daughter's. And I said, is, is this your daughter's house? And they said, no. And I said, is it on? And they said, yes. And I said, hmm, that's really strange to me that you would have one of those devices. I've 
talk to people in very high places in IT that say they would never have one, yet I'm not really sure that there's any difference between that and our smartphones that we talk to all day long and we carry around like it's part of our bodies. So, I mean, that's tracking us, that's videotaping us, that's recording us, that's positioning us in time, space, location, right? aerial right. depth. I mean, it's everywhere. I guess as long as you're carrying technology around and you have a credit card, forget about it, right? It's, Absolutely. It's just part yeah. of life. Yeah, it is. Maybe you should just have an Alexa and just make your life easier. <laughs> I, I just give in, give in. Wait, you know, where's that chip, DJ? Where do we put that? I think that's next. They're going to start putting the chips in the back of our, where the stork bite was. Remember that? Yes, of course. Yeah. They're just going to start coloring it, you know purple. And then next time you see a stork bite in a kid, it's going to be a chip. So what do you use and what, I mean, do you have any recommendations for how we use these devices or is it just basically it's over at this point? And you know what? I, I, I mean, there are a couple of ways to, to respond to that. The first way would be personally and the second way is in business. And I, I'm going to start with the business side of it. Sure. There is no question that social media is a phenomenal tool and asset to create engagement with your current customer base and with your potential customer base. There is no doubt that if you use social media well, that you will be seen as a thought leader in your industry and you will develop loyalty to your customer base and a connectivity to your customer base. And it depends on how you use it. So the algorithms, of course, are designed in a certain way that when you have constant usage, you get more views, you get more priority, if you will. And so a lot of small businesses, you know, there's so many industries that are so interesting and, and phenomenal. And, but yet there's kind of a single shingle, you know, there are people who are in business for themselves, whether they're physical therapists, whether they're um, interior designers, you know, whether they're software developers out of their home that are working on contract, whatever it is. And so depending on whether you are actively seeking work and you need to have that outreach so that you can continue to renew your current customer base and you continue to add and grow and develop new opportunities for customers, the use of social media is, is critically important. And it just depends, you know, if you're in the interior design business or graphics or whatever, Instagram is really powerful because it's all visual. It's visual, but it's more about brand building. If you are looking at more of transactional types of things, you know, Facebook is what's driven so much of, of why they're number one is, is that there are many, many ways to use that platform to engage potential customers and have a transactional piece to it, literally where they click on something. You know, Instagram, you don't click on anything. So you click on something um, in other social media. So it depends what you want to do. You mean to Personal purchase or to... Just, you know, a link to something, a link to a resource, a link to an endorsement, a link to a coupon, a link to a, you know, something. Gotcha. So give you more information. So it just depends how you want to use it. You know, voice is very hot. So a lot of people just like, I think it's so odd. I have been a Comcast Xfinity one customer and I'm just transitioning right now. And I actually have a home where Comcast is in that trading area. But um, so I'm not a Comcast customer right now, but I have been for years. And I just say that it's weird when you're sitting in your living room or great room, whatever, and you're yelling at the TV that you want Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones. You know, it just it seems so odd. 
you know, so the voice thing is, is interesting and it's certainly developing and there are a lot of, meaning know, it works. I've never used it. No, it totally works. It totally works, but it's you really can just shout of, at the television and it will play what you say. Of course. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, um, I don't have a television DJ. Yeah. So, you know, don't get me started on that, Elizabeth. Okay. <laughs> So it's all good. Um, well, I should rephrase. I have three TVs that are in storage. So you have lots of screens, you know, so you're getting your news and information. Lots of screens can be converted to, to pull in all kinds of content. You don't need to do it through the traditional TV set. So um, right. I know you just consume a lot of content. You want to share any advice on getting good content and how, how you pick your news sources or... I know you, well, that's not fair because last time I was at your house, I think you had every magazine known to humankind in your living room and you were actually reading all of them. So, I'm a magazine-aholic. I'm, you know, I'm- Well, you're also I'm, a voracious I'm, new I'm, consumer. I love, mag- I love magazines. I do. I, um, you know, I suppose if I were to redo my career, I would probably have been in magazines and publishing, but, but I loved, I loved every, every moment of broadcasting. But I, you know, I just say you, that- do you see a future for magazines? Oh, sure. You know, it's just niche. You know, it's, you know, it's going to be like, for instance, if you're an American Express platinum holder, they have a new magazine called Departures. They know exactly who that customer base is. Yeah. You can't go to a newsstand and buy Departures. You can't subscribe to Departures. You get it through as a benefit of membership, if you will. I mean, you pay dearly for it at the end of the day then they know everything about you. They, they qualitatively know your, your income, your taste, your whatever. And so, and that happens across the board in the sense of magazines have all become very niche. You know, you've seen the old, this is throwback like to the Ed Sullivan show, but you know, look magazines are not around anymore. Life magazines are not around anymore. You know, the Time Magazine, Newsweek, all those are sort of a, a shadow of their former selves and some are not in business anymore. What is working and we won't even go into the pop culture thing. So forget that. That's a whole different conversation. But in terms of news sources and all of that, or, or just subject areas that people are interested in, you know, a lot of magazines do a phenomenon. I was just at, I, I just, I'm traveling to the Middle East here shortly. And, uh, and um, some friends, we're going with some friends and they happened to subscribe to Smithsonian. And so they had, there were two articles back to back in the Smithsonian on two places that we're going to in the Middle East. And so they sent the magazines to me. and. You know, I thought nobody else is going to cover a story on Petra like this. They're just not. The Smithsonian did. You know, if you're interested in traveling to Petra, if you're interested in the Middle East, if you're interested in whatever, there are niche magazines that are going to give you pictures, beautifully written narrative, great resources. And, you know, it's a hefty read, but it's, it's something that you're so interested in. And it could be on any subject, right? So presumably that entire interaction could have happened digitally as well, though, right? They could have sent you the link to the online article. Yeah, they probably could have. I mean, they, yeah. they probably could have. I, they I'm just, just thinking about the interaction, but they actually sent you physical they, magazines. They did. They sent me two Smithsonian's. They did. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it was great. I, as a matter of fact, it made me want to subscribe immediately. I just, I, I need to do that because I thought it was so fascinating. So many interesting articles in that magazine. I just thought it was amazing. But I mentioned two great magazines. Departures is all about travel and uh, Smithsonian. It's amazing. Yeah. But you know, anyway, so that's, that's, you know, some magazines just niche and, and, and it's all good. But the voice thing is, you know, voice is voice commands. Just like, just like we're talking about with Alexa, that's a voice command, right? So that's voice. You can now in your car, you know, you can say, call my husband, you know, I mean, 
it's a call bill, whatever. It's, it's unbelievable how much is done through audio and voice, but it's a bit unproven. And I, I still think that some people are somewhat uncomfortable with that. And in some environments, you're not going to be spouting out what, you know, an audio command, you're going to want to be a little more discreet. So, um, right. so to your point about news sources. Okay. So, you know, at the end of the day, and particularly on the cusp of uh, presidential election, trust it remains a big, big issue. And, you know, trusting, what I tell people is you've got to trust your sources very carefully. And I am a big believer in journalists with a capital J. Journalists are the fourth estate. They are the watchdogs of society. And having managed and worked with so many phenomenal journalists, they are very, very purpose-driven. There are a lot of careers where you can make a lot more money. You can have a lot more perks. And it's a noble profession to be a journalist who digs deep for the facts and for accurate information. And that's very different than a lot of the cable shows where you have the pundits who go on. It's very opinion-based. It's very ideology-based. And just understand it for what it is. It's all good. It's all out there. But you've got to understand it for what it is. And, um, you know, do journalists get it wrong sometimes? Sure they do. But at the end of the day, they are striving very diligently to get it right. And so um, uh, I just hope that people think about uh, the difference between a journalist and a commentator, because there's a huge difference. So let's talk on a subject really briefly on content, because you mentioned that people are desperate for content. I was at a meeting with a Hollywood writer and producer yesterday. He said the same thing. Every major production studio, everybody's desperate for content. So what is it that they're desperate for? What does content mean? Because with all these platforms, there's so much to fill. Of course, we're desperate for content. We have too many places to put it and too many eyeballs looking in too many different directions. So what does good content look like? Well, first of all, let me just say that there's probably been the finest content produced in the last three years that have ever been produced. I mean, it's unbelievable. The sheer volume of content being produced at such a high level. I mean, it's, it's remarkable. And, you know, literally a week can't go by where you will read somewhere about, you know, here are the upcoming series on, you know, name whatever network. And maybe because we have a home in Montana although it's not, you know, filmed in Montana, it's filmed in Jackson Hole, I believe, I think. Or no, 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 it might be, uh, you know, actually, I think it is Montana, but it's, um, it's Bozeman. But anyway, it is Yellowstone. Of course, it's Bozeman, I, of course. Anyway, it's definitely Montana. And it's so funny because Yellowstone, I mean, who knows Yellowstone? So my, we're yelling at the television a couple months ago when we were still at our place with Comcast and we're yelling, Yellowstone, Yellowstone, well, that's a Paramount Network. So Paramount has a very legendary history with a phenomenal, you know, vault of content. But current content, original scripted series content, they've not really been in that space. So I was reading about it somewhere and I said, well, we should be watching content. We have a place in Montana. That would be great. You know, anyway, and you're thinking, golly, there's so much content. But, you know, it's interesting because content's portable now. And so I, I was just coming back from the East Coast day before yesterday. And on that long flight coming out west, you just see every single person has a device in their seat, in the entire airplane. They are consuming so much content. I mean, it's been a, a godsend to flight attendants because they don't have to babysit people anymore because they, you know, they import 
but it's the portability of content that I think's created a lot of the demand for more content because we now can take our content with us. So if we're going to be on, you know, between, between the terminal and the flight, you're into this deal for seven hours. You want seven hours of content. Mm-hmm. So before, you know, very good point, you know, so that, that's what I think is driving a lot of it. Not to mention, you know, we just keep increasing our population. <laughs> I mean, you know, our population's increased. We no longer have 200 million people in the United States. It's probably double that. So, I mean, there's just more people. Well, and the other thing that for me just makes it so frustrating, but I understand that I'm actually proposing marketplace communism, kind of, because like, just for example, this podcast has to be pushed out on how many different platforms. It's got to be loaded a certain way. It takes technical expertise rather than having one platform that all podcasts go on that everyone gets an equal playing field. No, you can't do that. Some of them are subscription-based. Some of them, you know, anyways, at the end of the day, the complexity because content is created by companies that then create apps, that then create, you know, whole websites just for their stuff. And then you're fracturing and fragmenting the marketplace. So that word that you just used is a word that, that has been in the narrative in a very consistent way over many years in legacy media companies. And that's fragmentation. Fragmentation. It's the fragmentation of now consumers have so many different choices of how they get their content and, you know, what podcasts they want to listen to and, and what, what feeds they want and, you know, all that. And so, and, and what news alerts that they're signing up for. And, and, and so, you know, at the end of the day, it's a great thing. When you yourself are producing content, you know, it might feel like, can't we just go back to the three, three network era? You know, it was just NBC, ABC, and CBS, and that's all there was. It made it really simple. But at the end of the day, consumers are very diverse, very, you know, have different interests, different backgrounds, and, you know, they, they're going to make different choices. And so the marketplace has to respond, and that's a good thing. And, you know, there's a shaking out, you know, that those that consistently deliver good content, those that consistently have a stable technical platform, those that consistently meet the needs of consumers will, you know, be successful. And the rest need to go away. They just need to. They're cluttering up the space and nobody wants them to be there. So there's a natural shaking out that happens. Right. Always. With regards to where we're headed, what do you think are some of the most, in closing, what are some of the most important things to keep in mind as you look ahead down the periscope of media? Well, it's a very dynamic world, of course. And I do think that, again, this whole issue of trust and trusted sources, I do get, they're, they're really generational differences. You know, there's a, there's a piece that I can't source it specifically, but I read about, you know, baby boomers just want to pick up the phone and talk to you. And then, you know, millennials only want to email and Gen X or Yers only want to Instagram and or Snapchat. So different generationally, people have grown up with and only known you mean millennials want to text? You said email. I don't think you mean email. Yeah, it's right, right. Text. So, yeah. right, generationally, each of the generations have their own preferred, you know, way of communicating. So whether it's email, texting, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, yeah. you know, phone. And so, you know, as a marketer, as a communicator of some sort, you need to be mindful of 
who's your target audience, who are you trying to communicate with. And it's difficult to be all things to all people anymore. It's really, really challenging. What I would say is, I would say that as you see the shift of the reins of business and industry being taken over as baby boomers retire and the new generation comes in, you know, having been mindful and understanding how they want to communicate, how they build loyalty, how they think about innovation, how they think about their workspace and what environment they want to be in. So that's the thing that is really, I think, obviously a lot of businesses are spending a lot of time thinking about that. I think there needs to be training, you know, a la Apple. I've read that up to 40% of all iPads are owned by people over 65. And I just hate it when I hear people say, I don't know how to use this, that, or the other thing. And I can't teach an old dog new tricks. And, you know, I think one of our goals has to be keeping people current because if you're not current, you're going to lose out on some really important interactions with people in your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I, I have seen some research and some data that really the 65 plus is probably has the fastest adoption of certain, well, it was, this was specific to Facebook at one point. I mean, you know, but, but to your point, there's a whole lot of other opportunities out there in social media that are not being exploited by certain generations that they find valuable. And there's also a lost opportunity by, I think, by Facebook to not include promotion of Instagram that makes it intelligible. Like, I think they should be getting that older population onto Facebook, or excuse me, Instagram. We already know they're on Facebook, but Instagram being a bit more visual and video-based, it seems to me anyways, is a great place for any age person to be right now. I heard that they're taking away the likes. Is that right? You heard that? I haven't, but it wouldn't surprise me. You know what? Actually, actually, I did read something about that briefly. I think that, you know, again, this sort of endorsement, I mean, you know, the word influencers, so influencers are huge in media right now. And the most trusted influencers for a company, for instance, are their employees, actually. But, you know, there's been so much misrepresentation of likes and endorsements and whatnot. And I know that you've experienced some of that yourself, that it is not um, in a different world. But I, you know, it's not if that trust has been broken and people feel that they don't know whether they're real or not real. And if they've been fabricated by someone that has self-interest or a nefarious motivation on it, then you lose all credibility. So it's really a credibility play. If you feel like you cannot offer a a platform that is what it pretends to be or what it wants to be, then you ought to just pull it. Well, I think I shared with you about a year ago, I had read that Netflix was getting rid of the Likert scale, which I think they did. So that's the one through five rating system. And then I heard this year, supposedly they were going to get rid of the likes and their thought process was, this is what I read. I'm obviously just speaking from no experience, but that they consider the productions that they do to be art as you would hope and that it's no one's right to tear it down. And also don't you have to be mindful of the fact that people have different, different interests. You know, I, I'm sure you're the same way. I've been exposed to lots of content where it got panned by critics, but you know, it was only 
it was the only thing on at the moment. It was the only thing was playing in the environment, whatever. And you watch it, you think, I kind of like that. I thought that was kind of great. It was a little out there. It was maybe a little oh. artsy, you know? Okay, so you made me... I mean, I, I won't like it. You made me think of something. Christmas Day, two decades ago, maybe. I, I can't remember, so someone will correct me, I'm sure. My f- mom put in Legally Blonde, and my personal opinion was so bad because I hated the movie uh, title. I thought it was going to be sexist. I was, you know, hard pressing doctor, you know, so tough. I watched it. I broke down and watched it. It was one of the best movies I'd ever watched. It was so cute. It was so inspiring. It was so affirmative to women. And yet for some reason that mismatch. So you're right about when you consume something that you're expecting to have a totally different reaction to and when it when it goes well it's awesome right right you know i love reading context analysis in terms of maybe story development or the story arc or the character development and all that's interesting but then when someone says but you know and then they they judge it with a a rating scale or whatever um you know again you have to choose your advisors carefully some you can't expect certain people to have the same kind of taste you have, you know, in your entertainment or content or whatever. So I, I don't know. It's Well, it's, one uh, of the things I've been finding as a source of hate is people wanting everyone else to be like them and to be the same. And when they're not, they get uncomfortable with that. So they attack it. Oh, that's a whole different topic. And I couldn't agree more. The no, world. I know. But I don't even remember how we got on that topic, DJ. But you deal with other day, I will say, but it's, yeah. you know, and, and the one thing I will say as it relates to the conversation that we've had just now is that the way I used to say this is that at the end of the day, it's, you really need a balanced diet and you can't live on ice cream and cookies alone. And so you were, whether it was school or your parents or, you know, whatever, often force fed a really balanced diet. And at the end of the day, it was good for you. So relating that to media, prior to talk radio and prior to the proliferation of cable shows that were driven through commentators and a certain ideology, you pretty much were force-fed a diet of a broad cross-section of media, of stories that represented a variety of different ideologies, a variety of different perspectives, a variety of different ways to think about issues and topics. And then, and this is my own personal belief, talk radio came along and I'll just call him out. I mean, he's just one of many and it, it, you know, and, and you may love him or you may not. It's not even about that, but you take a Rush Limbaugh. So Rush is a very passionate, very smart guy, has a very definite point of view on things. And if you agreed with Rush, you'd only listen to Rush. And all of a sudden, you're so deeply and siloed into the world, all according to Rush Limbaugh, that you didn't actually get a differing opinion or perspective. So you weren't force-fed, you know, broccoli or Brussels sprouts to get to the ice cream and cookies. You only went directly to your ice cream and cookies. And, you know, you can't live alone on a single siloed, you know, anything. And so I think what's happened is we have created a bit of a society that's been very polarizing because you only listen to or consume media with people who look like you, talk like you, act like you, think like you. Wow. Those to different opinions. And it is not good. 
And you keep listening to the same thing over and over and over with no cross-pollination. And so therefore your world becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. So a gentleman who is the president of the National Association of Broadcasters, his name is Gordon Smith. He used to be a state senator from Oregon. He once told me, he said, I, I ask people to earn their opinion. He said, so if you... If you are diabolically opposed to something that you're hearing or being exposed to in a conversation, then why don't you try to sit on that side of the issue? This is what great debate is about, right? You sit on that side of the issue and understand why people think that way. And then you might broaden out your thinking, you might change your thinking, or you might not change your thinking whatsoever. But at least you've earned that that opinion and that point of view versus just listening to a single commentator and saying, okay, I'm with that without ever understanding or visiting or spending time on the other side of the issue to have a broader, deeper understanding of it. And that's what we're missing. So it's interesting. You're bringing up an advantage to having cable and a disadvantage. So I remember years ago when I could change the channel, this is decades, obviously, from one national channel to another. So the three that you mentioned, CBS, NBC, and ABC. And they in the news hours, they would have the same story reporting, even almost lifestyle stuff that was pre-planned, not just the headline news of the tragedies. And they would all be similar programming. And I'd be like, what? How is this like possible? But now we have the opposite. We have 500 channels, we have multiple ways to consume news, and we can get super, or content of any sort, we can get super narrow. And that in and of itself, and I'll make an analogy to education, that narrowness is so, it can be so devastating. So when I went to college, I went into a business school, and then I dropped out after a year, went back five years later, and attended a liberal arts school and was required to take all these crazy classes I had no interest in, didn't want to be there, thought I was wasting my money at the time, like, really, I have to take sadistics and all that kind of stuff. And yet, it changed my life. I became a physician because of one of those liberal arts classes. And, you know, you're absolutely right. You can change that opinion on a dime by having a little cross-pollination. So do you recommend like going to multiple specialty sources or is, do you just like go to your favorite news network and see all the stories and watch several different news magazine shows or? You know, I, I just think it's important not to have a steady diet of one thing that you have to diversify. And, you know, there, as we've talked about, there are countless options about how to do that. But I think it's really, really important. You know, a lot of people are centrist or in the middle of the road. But when you have these extreme positions, if you're out there on an extreme position, I think it's even critically important that you, you really try to take time to sit on the other side of that issue just to understand it better. And anyway, so again, it's a very complex topic to say the least, but media has a role to play. And again, it's, it's who you choose and, and to understand how you're, how you're consuming media When I was conducting the focus group of ladies in their 80s, this was part of the questionnaire that I asked them, where do they go to get news? How do they get news? What search engine? These ladies in their 80s go to Facebook for search engines, for 
news, for shopping, for everything. Literally, it's kind of the icon that's used for everything is Facebook. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, if you think about that as a funnel that's already been curated before it even gets to you, you know, that's interesting. That's, you know, as a, as a legacy media person, it was stunning and shocking to us when, so I was on a panel for a Center for Women's Leadership that was doing a program for civic students, if you will, across an entire state and both in higher ed and also in high school. So it was a large group of people. And when I asked where they consume media and did a little Q&A that was similar to what you're talking about, Facebook was far and away number one. And, and that was, this was several years ago. And I have to tell you, it was stunned by it. just stunned because we never thought of Facebook as being a source for news. And so you know, they've been an aggregator. They weren't actually themselves going out and I've developed seen a video with a former Facebook original employee programmer who said that they manipulate the programming. I don't know if that's true or not, but think about that filter for your news. I well, mean, this is algorithms. So what they've done is they've built these algorithms. And that's a little bit of, you know, again, the big brother thing of once you, you know, once you elect to visit certain sites, then all of a sudden you're getting more and more content that's related to that topic area. Mm -hmm. And so an algorithm is trying to assess what your interest areas are or what you're shopping for. And then they're going to start to serve you ads and that's geo targeted. It's, you know, they, so haven't you ever, you've probably been on your computer and let's say you were searching for a pair of shoes and um, the next thing you know, you're being served all these ads for shoes or for cars or for whatever. And so, or just talking about something and then be served an ad for it. Oh no. Oh, you know what? Oh my God. That has happened twice in the last few weeks where people have told me that they literally, I mean, we were in an environment, we were, oh gosh, oh, I can't think of it exactly, but there were a group of us and we were all talking about something and literally about an hour later, one of the people in that conversation got served an ad on something. Oh yeah. That, it, it was unbelievable. And you know, it's, I mean, we know the technology exists, we know it actually happens, but that was such a graphic, such a tangible example in, it, it was, it was unbelievable. Well here, I think it's going to change very quickly, DJ, and we will not only not mind those ads being served to us, but we will expect it. Like, where's my chewy dog food ad so I can get that special? Where's yeah. my Nordstrom discount that I want? And literally it's going to be voice command. Hello, I'd like to go to Nordstrom today and have a 20% off discount. Do you have one? Boom, it's going to pop yeah. up. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And you're we exactly will love it and we will consume it and we will start to demand it. And then Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and all those other people will figure something else out. <laughs> so I think we're headed there and I sure appreciate talking to you about all of these issues and have really enjoyed watching your career over the last 12 years or so. And now we can say that you are officially retired into uh, the well, next no, stage I'm, or I'm working, I'm consulting and I have right. well, so, from I meant from the station from oh, definitely. Oh, no retired. Question. I apologize. Retired from the media group. You are not old yet, which is why you're on this show. Definitely. definitely. And you are a consultant in the yeah, business. I, and, I, you know, I'm, I'm in the next phase and it is 
it is a ride. I'm loving it. It's fantastic. It's so interesting and the world is amazing. So yeah, lots of upside, lots of interesting opportunities and projects. So never a dull moment. Well, you are definitely not old yet. And I love having you on the show, DJ. I look forward to next time when we can talk a little further, hopefully about fake news, about specific stories and other things that you've experienced over your career. But until then, we uh, ask that you hit the like button and subscribe. We are Not Old Yet podcast, and you can find us at notoldyetglobal.com. I'm your host, Elizabeth. Thank you for joining us. Best